0: I'm Adriana, and this is Rebel with a Cause, a podcast where I bring the cultural diversity to your space through individuality and rebel moves. Tune in to hear stories, discussions, and bites from people fueled by passion, originality, and those famous rebel moves. Good afternoon and welcome to the episode four of Rebel with A Cause. So today's theme is what on earth? And I have just a perfect guest lined up for you guys. But before we delve into this interesting conversation and we might ruffle some feathers throughout this combo. Today is Earth Day and we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of this day. Which was which was organised first time by Dennis Hayes in 1970. So what I would like to do today is just talk about talk a little bit about sustainability, um, life on Earth, our lives, and what do we do? As we are currently on lockdown, we have a lot of time to we're forced to be home, so we have a lot of time and to think. And the attention and focus on ourselves. And we are learning about ourselves, we're seeing our habits, and we can we can see the things we're doing in our daily lives when it comes to whether it's recycling, whether it's you know, our eating habits, whether it's our different habits, if we use too much plastic. So it's certainly a great time to to focus. And reevaluate and have a look at yourself as a person and your approach to sustainability and earth, the earth we all live on. So my guest is Ryan McClure. Um, this is my favorite, most creative, crazy person, um, eco warrior, activist, animal lover, favorite veggie, you name it number one fan we work on the same team together he's a system design engineer but unfortunately he is leaving us very soon so i really really wanted to catch him before he leaves us to move to london to do his double masters in innovation design engineering at the royal college of art and imperial college of london wow that's that was a bit of a mouthful but welcome ryan
1: hello Thank you very much for having me. I'm really, really excited to answer some questions and get into what's going to be a very uh, interesting discussion.
0: Awesome, awesome. So you are, I know you, you have all the rebel qualities. Absolutely. But you are a rebel with a good cause. And today's cause that we're talking about is earth, sustainability, Ethical resource and animal cruelty, anything. But my first question to you is: I, I was always, I was always fascinated by your passion for all this. Why are you so passionate about all of this? What, what, what's your, what's the driver?
1: Sure. So, um, a few years ago, I actually remember seeing um an image. I love the documentaries, but in particular, I loved watching anything to do with space and i remember watching a documentary and carl sagan um, had basically uh, created it it was called cosmos a space-time odyssey and he basically shared an image called the the pale blue dot so in 1977 there were two space probes launched from earth and um, voyager 1 and voyager 2 and they basically had this beautiful huge golden uh, record on them and um, with kind of like a summary of who we are as a species it, there was an album of the sound of the earth and it was sort of sent out there so if any alien life form came across it they could with some degree of possibility uh, understand who we are but you know the image that was taken it was taken on the 14th of february 1990 so it was a good um, 13 years later um just space is such a vast place it's about six billion kilometers away from earth and as you can imagine Hence the, the name suggests we are such um, what seemed to be an insignificant pale blue dot in this vast cosmic arena. But when I looked at that, I didn't really feel insignificant. I actually felt very significant instead. I felt the opposite. Just how how sort of lucky we are to have such a beautiful home um, and to have our own place in the universe. And I remember doing further reading and taking up more interest in space. And I came across a quote uh, a quote by Scott Carpenter. So he was one of the uh, America's first astronauts as part of the Mercury 7. Um, so this planet is not terra firma. It is a delicate flower and must be cared for. It's lonely, it's small, it's isolated, and there is no resupply. And we are mistreating it. Clearly, the highest loyalty we should have is not to your own country, our own religion, our hometown, or even ourselves. It should be to... Number two, the family of man, and number one, the planet at large. This is our home, and this is all we've got. That was in 1962, so that's wow. you know it's so powerful to come from, um, you know, such a, a time of even uncertainty. You know, after the war, so many things happening, and if the threat of nuclear war emerging in the late 60s, early 70s, you can imagine how distressed people were, and that's why he said what he said. He was just trying to give people that perspective that we are so lucky for who we are and where we come from. And that's what really got me appreciating trying to, you know, take notice of climate change and to to try and share and spread the message that our home is very important. And without it, we would be nothing.
0: That's, that's, that's pretty deep. (laughs) You know me. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I always loved that about you, that without being, you know, putting much weight to your age. I always thought, you know, you were very mature and I was always able to engage in deep conversations and you have a very good understanding of life and the world and and just generally everything around us. And you always strive for a deeper, meaningful connection. Yeah. And you, you always like to research, and and which kind of leads me on to the next thing. You know, I was sort of looking at, you know, the generation, and that you're on, you're sort of on the brink of the millennial generation Z, yeah, which is this type of generation that you pay more attention to detail. So the my question is that how much are your decisions influenced? You know, by sustainability, ethical sourcing, animal cruelty, where the, the, the product or the service you know where's it coming from how much weight do you put to that
1: sure that's a really good question um so i guess have I a kind of basis around understanding um how our current systems work in terms of sort of e-commerce and where and how we actually go about buying things and how we're obviously influenced by buying those certain items so You know, I find it can be very difficult to ensure that every decision you make has the the right sustainable and ethical impact in regards to sourcing. And I feel like transparency from companies uh, is so fundamentally important with brands uh, actually taking the time to actually question their supply chain or sourcing of the products that you're you're buying. So our whole world at the minute is based around um, convenience uh, and will continue to evolve this way. Therefore, like it's very easy just to click a button like once or twice and have anything you want delivered to your door by a stranger in such a short space of time without even stopping for a minute to think about the implications of where that product came from. Um, and I think that this, to say, this rapid process just kind of like removes the, the thought process of the time to reflect on that whole um, sort of journey of a product. Whereas there are, you can see there are some companies out there that are trying to tell these stories as part of their brands to advertise, They like say they're creating sunglasses made of chipboard um, or, you know, there might be creating beer made from childhood favorite cereals that feel quality control uh, in, a, in a plant. That's actually happening, by the way. Cocoa Pops in the oh, UK wow. are taking, a, a, you know. Uh, cereals that feel quality control and since they're they're made of the properties that would normally make up beer they're able to create like a chocolate stout so they're it's to do with circular economies whatever but that company has based their marketing strategy around transparency trying to show that you can do more and people especially my age are trying to buy into that and that obviously makes you feel a bit better uh lush as well uh, just in relation to animal cruelty have done an extremely good job and are such a good um sort of uh, example of how a brand can grow so quick, gain such an attractive market of varying age ranges and have a great impact in regards to preserving the rights of animals. So I think really it, it's trying to look at transparency, taking a moment to think about you know, that journey of a product and doing the research, You know, spending the time and just thinking, okay, look, what what is it that I'm buying? Why am I even buying it? Do I need this? So I think there's just a big feedback loop involved there that someone actually has to step up and take on. And then companies can make that easier by being more transparent.
0: Yeah, I know you, you have me hooked on packed coffee, which is another <laughs> one of those. Yeah. You know, which is nice to see that they that the coffee growers, you know, they get more money and yeah. they're not being fleeced as such. So yes, it, it is. The coffee is more expensive, but I must admit it's a fabulous quality. So thanks for getting me onto that one. No worries. <laughs> so uh, and then yeah, food. Food is a very very big topic, and I know you are a vegetarian. And I personally, I've been to to the land of the the land of the vegan <laughs> the vegetarian <Yeah. laughs> myself. You know, yeah. Last last year for ten months. And I I must admit, I am back on meat, and but it was certainly a learning curve. It was an absolute learning curve for me to do it for 10 months. And I have significantly reduced my meat intake. But yeah, so let's talk about this. Will reducing meat in my diet really help the climate or in our diets help the climate change? Is there like... We're going, to ruffle, we're going to ruffle, you know, rough some feathers here, but I don't really care.
1: Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's definitely a big question. I guess first I'll kind of lay a foundation in saying that just from my perspective um, that absolutely reducing meat, in my opinion, will uh, really help the climate. I'll get on to that in a second, but it's not the only thing that we can do in regards to our, our diets, um, but we can maybe get to that afterwards. Yeah. So... One thing that I usually do when I chat to people about these sort of things is to not shove uh, loads down people's throats. Yeah. It's kind of like you, you present facts and then you try and have at least some sort of uh, discussion about it. But I'll just go in here and, and give my thoughts around it.
0: And so, you're right, because I've yeah. been here myself, and I'm sorry to jump in, but I okay. in, the, in the 10 months I've been doing it, I sort of created this created this saying that I'm still sort of practicing sort of stand by it's my mantra
1: is
0: practice what you preach but don't force what you eat.
1: Yeah because it's really it can be really off-putting you know Um, it can be really uh, you you don't want to listen to someone if you don't really respect them then you don't want you don't want to listen to them and in order to gain respect uh, you can't obviously preach things down people's throats so absolutely 100% with you on that one. Um, I think that if if you're to look at eating meat really as a habit, you know, it's become so trivial that many people don't really consider something a proper meal if there's no animal involved. Uh, Like it was only a few decades ago that meat was actually a luxury product. And when you actually look at the system as a whole for eating meat, I believe that it's it's the most inefficient way of actually feeding um, the human population. So to get, get into this a bit more, um, if you think about the billions and billions of, say, you know, chickens, pigs, cows, there naturally needs to be a lot of area to sustain and actually feed these animals, which in turn feed us. So around 83% of Earth's farmland is used for livestock, with the remainder used for the likes of soya and corn, uh, or what's called fodder crops. And this is around 26% of Earth's total land area. And it takes about 27, 27% of the global fresh water consumption to um, sustain this. Those are huge numbers when you think about our planet. Yeah. And then you consider that you know, this is something that is increasing, not slowing down. New pasture land is often created by obviously cutting down trees. And this uh, releases carbon dioxide, which is normally stored in these forests. And the forest would basically normally be uh, part of the lungs or the breathing uh, system of the planet, uh, producing this clean, breathable air and attractable ecosystems for all our wonderful biodiversity, which is also being lost at an alarming rate as well. Um, And even, you know, going back to just thinking, I made a comment there saying about how it's the most inefficient way of feeding humans. If you were to kind of look at the numbers around this, uh, and specifically what you get out of the process of feeding a cow, so cows only convert around about 4% of proteins and 3% of the calories we feed them into beef. This means that 97% of those calories are lost. So, you know, breaking this down a bit further, for every one kilogram of beef, um, it takes on average 25 kilograms of grain and 15,000 liters of water, one kilogram. So meat consumption is kind of like a black hole for, for uh, resources. And you know animal products as well only make up around 18% of the total calories that we eat. So you know, can you imagine actually how many people we could nourish if we utilize those resources for human consumption only? And the answer would probably be in the millions, if not billions of people. And you know the world population is predicted to hit about ten billion in the year twenty fifty. So we need to be in a position to match those needs as soon as possible. And at the rate that we're going, it's just a lot more difficult to achieve that. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess, that's think, yeah, like get, thinking about green greenhouse gas emissions. Your key question was: will reducing meat might diet really help the climate? Yeah. So we we like yeah. to talk about. Greenhouse gases, that's one of the key attributors to climate change. So, you know, worldwide livestock counts for between 145 and 18% of human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. And this is the summation of all the emissions of cars, trains, planes, and boats compl- uh, combined, which is crazy. Um, so, you, you know, when you think about then, okay, we have, we have more greenhouse gases, our planet's warming up. What other impacts does this have? So have you ever heard of... Uh, an orgasm called a, a phytoplankton organism.
0: Organism? Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. I haven't heard that one, but I will certainly search for it. very interesting. to the orgasm I wouldn't be the very first time i said that. It's class. Very oh, good.
0: No, I haven't. Please enlighten me.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that would be appropriate for this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, Phytoplankton are mostly uh, sort of like microscopic, single-celled, what's known as photosynthetic organisms uh, that live suspended in in water. And like land plants, they they basically take up uh, carbon dioxide and they make carbohydrates using energy from the sun, and then they release that as oxygen. So all the phytoplankton on the planet actually produces about half the world's oxygen supply, and it produces uh, much of the food. Uh, for all marine life and when the planet heats up you have more warmer patches of water so that means that the phytoplankton then actually migrates to colder regions which means that all the animals where the phytoplankton once were don't get the food they need and that causes a huge breakdown um, which means that animals obviously die results in economy suffering and then there'll be a surge in co2 in our atmosphere because not as much oxygen is being produced and that's just one example of the systematic effect of greenhouse gases linked to warming temperatures linked to then the uh, cascading effect that will ha- it'll have on us and other uh, ecosystems within say the ocean
0: wow that that's a bit of a mind-boggling piece of information which yeah. i will probably have to listen to again myself to sort of get my head around it but what are the What small things we can do to sort of contribute or make a change or make a positive change?
1: So I think we actually have a big. Um, there's oh, there's there's so many answers to this. Uh, where to start? So I think you're saying there at the start of the podcast that this situation situation is getting us to sort of take a moment and reflect uh, on life.
0: Well, well, yes, yeah, the whole coronavirus because we're stuck in. Yeah. So like, like here's me. I'm looking. Today, I have taken out my recycle bin, the plastic one, and going, wow. Do you know, like, yeah. I'm generating so much plastic, mm-hmm. buying products that are packaged in plastic. Yeah. So I I think that the change, what I'm going to maybe try and see going forward, is to find a shop where I can bring my own containers. Yeah. And what do you call those type of shops?
1: So they're basically zero waste uh, stores.
0: Zero, zero. Yes, yes, you're right. So I'm going to see if I can maybe start using zero waste instead, or something like that, or maybe try buy foods with less plastic packaging. Yeah, and I also obviously since I've been vegetarian, I have I have halved my meat intake, so I, I do yeah. feel like I know it's not ideal, but it's certainly a better than what it was before.
1: Yeah, and that just actually brings me to a point. Like, you should never. We were saying there earlier. Like, no one's perfect. There can't be one approach to this. And for someone that's willing to actually cut down their meat consumption is is brilliant, and they they should not be uh, ostracized for that or judged in, in any negative context because at least they're trying. You know, at least you're trying to uh, have some form of impact, and that's the important thing. Once people start saying, "Oh, why don't you just cut it all together?" There's no point, you know, you know, having like one uh one day a week that you'll you'll not eat meat that's just gonna that's not productive and it's it's gonna make people's mental health worse it's gonna make people feel like they're feeling and then they'll just go back to old habits so it's just a very important point to make and mm-hmm. um, just going back there you're saying you know like what what can we do mm-hmm. um, Yeah. so like this time obviously is given us a bit of a bit of a time to just reflect and appreciate what we have. It's showing us the detrimental effect of what can happen throughout the whole world. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but if I do have time like this, like I just think about all these little things that I do in my day and how I can really improve what I'm doing or how I can have a better impact. And I guess going back, um, like, you know, working hard to get into these universities, one of the key things that I want to focus on is, you know, the idea of circular economies, uh, trying to improve the environment through, you know, innovation and smart engineering and and design. So for me, like one of the the key drivers is wanting to get into uni to to try and create those changes, but then also having chats like this, sharing knowledge with people, um, encouraging people to, you know, go and watch certain things, encouraging people to have conversations. So I just feel that it all feeds from you as an individual and how you can kind of find your, your tribe and connect with others to share this very valuable knowledge, which I think is lost in translation so many times. You know, there's. I remember seeing something, um, it was called the Seagal effect. So the Seagal the effect is kind of like the problem when you have too much knowledge. So you imagine a man with a, a watch on his. On each wrist. Uh, he can't tell a time because he has two sources of information. But then you have a man with uh, one watch on one wrist. He's able to accurately tell a time. So we're swamped with knowledge. Like there's just so much information out there. And you need to put in the time in order to find very valuable sources of information, which will allow you to then make the changes that are going to have a better impact on the world. So it's, again, trying to connect all the dots. Um, I guess transparency again would be. Something to look at, and just not being ignorant and being patient with uh, having these sort of conversations. Open-mindedness, and, and you
0: are absolutely, and you are right. There is a vast, vast, vast amount of information available yeah. online at a click of a button, which can be pretty confusing for you know people, even like myself. I would sometimes you know struggle. Go like, what, who do I believe here, yeah. or you know? what's the science or, you know, is this real? Is this true? And that sort of makes me think that, you know, why do you think people question the science of climate change?
1: Um, So I actually had a really interesting thought about this, Uh, even for the last few days, uh, just thinking about how sort of, how directly people can be impacted by things such as coronavirus. So, so it's, it, I, co- I sort of get the feeling that some people maybe aren't taking the coronavirus uh, pandemic seriously. And I'm sort of asking, you know, why is that? And I came to the conclusion that in a way, you know, people, if people don't sort of directly see or experience the impact of something, then they're less likely to uh, engage or believe in what's happening. So in relation to climate change, uh, there's a very interesting thing called the Global Climate Risk Index. And it's pretty much an index of countries which are most at risk due to the uh, increasing threats of climate change. So, you know, say, look, take an example. Uh, there's and There's sort of like a difference in scale for how, how quickly the effects of climate change can have on a people or a country, dependent on where they are based geographically. So take us here in Northern Ireland. You know, we don't have mass floods, we don't have monsoons, hurricanes, yeah. heat waves. We are so lucky; yeah. it's unbelievable. We are super, super, we are super lucky. Absolutely, like ridiculously lucky. <laughs> you know, whereas other like countries,
0: yeah,
1: like Japan, India, and those that are sort of like of major develop developing countries, like Kenya, are at the biggest threat due to the uh, accelerating climate migrations so obviously you have you know these areas of the world that maybe wouldn't normally get such uh, weather patterns but due to these uh, increasing you know challenges of climate change these migrations happen and then these countries get subjected to it they're not prepared for it and then everything breaks down and they become more infrequent and more or more frequent and more intense but they're you know we aren't impacted directly so we it's harder for us to go Oh, well, it's not affecting us, so it's okay.
0: It's true, because I tell you what, the first comment that my, my friend visited me there a couple of years ago from Barcelona, yeah. and the first thing he said to me, and he just couldn't get over it, how clean the air was here in Northern Ireland. Really? Every time, like, I looked over at him, and he was taking real <laughs> big, deep breaths, and I'm like, mate, are you all right? He was like... <laughs> I'm so good. He says, I'm just really enjoying this clean air. Wow. And sit and since that and obviously I traveled to Beijing and travelling to Beijing yeah. made me r- realise that wow. I, I I feel privileged to live in a country that you have so the clean air is just everywhere around you because obviously the trees and the green and all and it's just amazing.
1: Yeah. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I actually had a friend who lived in Shenzhen in China, um, not as badly affected, but he said the difference was just astronomical. Like he came home to Northern Ireland and he actually, over the period of about a week, a week and a half, he was coughing up phlegm and things. You know, it's just, it's crazy how... You could sort of see that difference around the world, but that doesn't mean like we don't directly experience it. I will guarantee you if we had hurricanes here, there would be a big uh, mindset change about how we went about our attitudes towards it. And even just thinking back, you know, to the whole conversation about uh, meat eating. You know, I wonder how many of us would stop eating meat if we actually saw the full um, sort of narrative of how our foods made before we eat each meal. You imagine if you actually had the, you were forced to watch that. I wonder how many people would stop eating, and that's what I mean. Mm. There's a lack of transparency.
0: Absolutely, and and you're right. Oh well, I don't think we can we can figure out much. Um, but it was certainly it was great to have this discussion. You know and yeah, and 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 it's good to get this out to people, and and hopefully you know people will find it interesting, and it's more an easier way to sort of give a bit of understanding about. What on earth is happening yeah. around us, and and how we can do a bit of a change? But yeah, well, sort of wrapping up. I'm really interested because I, I we talked about this a little bit, you know, in the office, and and just and I have a slight idea. But I would really love you to tell me a little bit about the project you had to prepare for your for your um, uni application or because I know you had a few, but there's there's one that everybody was talking about in the
1: office. So let us on what you what you did. Okay, cool. So um yeah I guess I wanted to sort of create had all these sort of mini products, but I wanted to create like a major one that incorporated a lot of different elements. You know, electronics design, uh, mechanical design, how you use materials, even like managing uh, a project as well. It shows a high degree of di- like sort of being disciplined. Um, so I decided to create like a smart hydroponic system, and I I named it Luca. And uh, Luca basically stands for the last universal common ancestor. Um which is basically the most recent population of organisms, which uh, from which all organisms now living on earth have a common descent, uh, which is why I named it Luca, just because it's to do with plants and things like that. Um,
0: <laughs> Very good.
1: So my challenge was, I'd always wanted to build a hydroponic system. For those that don't know what hydroponic systems are, they are systems in which you can grow plants without any me- uh, soil medium. So for example, on the International Space Station, they have a huge module, uh, it's kind of like a big greenhouse where they grow things, and that's basically a huge hydro- hydroponic system. So what you do is you have uh, plants with their roots suspended in nutrient-rich water, and that water would basically circulate around with uh, a lot of oxygen in it, and then that would allow the plants to grow very quickly and also uh, and get all the nutrients that they need. But then in order to sort of catalyze sorry, their growth rate, you would use um, specific wavelengths of, of light uh, pretty much red and blue and you would have those set above the plants so it's it's kind of like an all in one package for growing plants quickly effectively sustainably and in pretty much any environment Um, obviously needed to show a wide breadth of skills so and in the titles is, it should suggest smart hydroponic system so i decided to yeah. attach loads of sensors to it that would read water acidity um the sort of humidity temperature of the room uh temperature of of the water if the lights were on and off basically like mo- monitoring that little ecosystem and then it would ping your phone to say hey this water is too acidic it's too low on oxygen you need to go and replace the water etc etc so yeah building it i wanted to re reuse existing materials so i've got like a, a pallet bmx wooden fence posts, pvc guttering bamboo and then hardware fastenings, and see what i could do and obviously if you have if you're kind of like limiting yourself that way with what you can use i tried to view it not so much as kind of like a limitation but a chance to be super creative so it's like what can i do with these limited materials and it's kind of bored uh, or not bored it so kind of like feeds in to uh <laughs> my one of my goals when I go to uni is when I'm exploring uh, different ways of designing or engineering things. It's like, what, what can we use currently going back to circular economies? What can we reuse? What can we make yourself in a different way? No one thought of. So it was trying to show that I was thinking about that and to carry it through.
0: I just, I just, um, I love your passion and I do believe you have a green heart. Yeah. You know, it's just, anything you do or you sort of live and breathe climate change and you know you love the animals and it's just comes through your personality and I really enjoyed this conversation even though it's you know a couple minutes there I thought you were geeking me out Couldn't (laughs) wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about so I'm just gonna Probably listen it, listen it, listen to it all over again so I can understand. But thank you very much for coming on. No, I thank really, you. really appreciate it. And what a way to celebrate Earth Day.
1: Absolutely magical. I've really, really enjoyed this. Um and again your questions have been very, very valuable, I think. And it'd be good to get some feedback from even other people and maybe engage in a conversation around mm. some of those questions and see what we can get out of it.
0: Loved it. On last note, yep. share would you share
1: your favorite book? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, there's quite a few. One, one that really had a big impact on me actually was the book of joy. So interestingly enough, I, I wouldn't be religious. Who wrote wrote it? Um, so it was a, it's a guy who actually give my copy of that away to someone as it would hopefully maybe inspire them. Um, I'm trying to remember who the author was, um, he basically interviewed Desmond Tutu, the leader of the Christian faith and the Dalai Lama, and he asked him ah. certain questions, um, you know, like what, what's the meaning of life, what makes you happy, what is happiness, and I remember reading this at a time where I was quite unhappy and unsatisfied with a lot of things, and I wanted to try and understand why, and I was obviously grown up as well, so... You know, there is just a lot oh. happening in your life. Um, oh, Douglas yeah. Abrams, D- Douglas Abrams is the uh, artist, or not the yeah. artist. <laughs> Think about music here, the author. But yeah. that book really changed my life. So even though, again, you know, I wouldn't really. This is probably a whole other conversation, but I wouldn't really yeah. be religious. I actually uh, follow and agree with a lot of religious principles because um, they have a really good ethical and moral code surrounding them, and they can teach you very valuable things. So that book. The Book of Joy by Douglas Abrams is, is probably definitely my favorite, if not one of my favorite books.
0: Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. It's been awesome to have you on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And hope you are all keeping well, staying safe, and looking after your shelves. And that's pretty much us. Take care. And they'll hopefully hear from me soon. <laughs> bye bye.
1: No, thanks. Bye bye.